Welcome to the Trinity Radio Podcast. This podcast has a video component found at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. This means you might miss some visual aspects of the show, but it shouldn't have a serious negative effect. We'd love it if you'd run over to the YouTube channel real quick and subscribe. And if you enjoy this content, do us a favor. Take a moment to give us a five-star review on iTunes and mention a couple of things you like about the podcast. If you really appreciate the show, you can help make it better and get extra content for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash trinity radio. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Trinity Radio. You found the Christian channel that loves atheists. And in this video, we're going to be taking a look at uh, some responses I got to a video I made called 10 Questions for Atheists. And specifically, this video is going to deal with the answers they gave to the question of to what extent did, did social and moral issues um, start leading you down or kick off the path towards your atheism. Now, someone could say none at all. Some could say a little bit, but I think I was able to control my bias if there was bias, or someone could say it motivated me a lot. Uh, this question sprang from the fact that I noticed as I watched uh, various deconversion videos that oftentimes there are certain issues that come up. Issues like uh, the biblical teaching on hell, the biblical teaching on God's actions in the Old Testament, or sexual issues like purity culture or LGBT issues, that a lot of times these things get mentioned. And to what extent do those moral issues play into uh, your the, the path that led you to your atheism, whatever that is. Now, uh, there were a lot of responses that I got to these 10 questions. And uh, though I've tried to pick different spokespersons from different channels to, to, to get the biggest sampling I could from different aspects of the atheist community online and on YouTube, uh, here I've chosen three that pretty well encapsulate what you get from most of these videos. And all three of these individuals have been in one or more of the videos in this series already. So we're going to take a look at some of them and we're going to find out uh, to what extent they did. Now, interestingly, all three of these people say that uh, these social or moral issues didn't play a role in their deconversion. They left me with the impression that they did, it didn't at all, I think. And so, uh, but, but they do say some interesting things that were echoed in a lot of the other videos. Not that those videos were copying from them, but they were also in those other videos. So let's go ahead and listen. We're going to start with due diligence, who was in the last video. Now um, I'm going to play his video where he has a clip of me explaining the question, and then it'll go right into his response to the question. So here we go. To what extent did social and moral issues start you down the path toward your atheism? That is to say, the typical Christian views on sexuality, gender, rights, and acts and commands of God in the Old Testament. It strikes me that what should matter most is the truth and not what we might prefer that the truth were. I honestly wonder how much those issues and ones like them motivate the deconversion rather than all this talk about evidence. Well, I didn't really deconvert. I was always an atheist. Though that I grew up in, we use the term chiloni which translates as uh, secular to refer to a person who wasn't religious. But I took on the atheist label when I became a hard atheist, after I started thinking about the problem of evil. Long before I knew there was an ongoing debate about it or that it was even called the problem of evil. Only then, when I realized that inasmuch as the word God refers to an omnibenevolent, omnipresent, omnipotent creator of the universe, this 
God cannot exist, did I start referring to myself as atheist. In a sense, I guess you could say that it's moral issues that got me to this point of hard atheism and to the label of atheism, but not in the sense that you meant. It's not that I didn't like what God commanded, so I decided to deny him. It's that the suffering of this world made me realize that a God with those claimed traits was just incompatible with the reality that we see. Essentially, though, I was always a non-believer. It's just that up until about five or ten years ago, I was more agnostic about it. And generally, I totally agree with you that what should matter is what the truth is, not what we prefer it to be. It's just like how not liking the feeling that without God you have no good way of explaining the origin of the universe shouldn't get you to believe in God or even move you closer to believing in God. Yeah, so um, I, I like this response because even though it, uh, well, it's an answer to the question that I gave and he supplies what moved him toward atheism. And so we can talk a little bit about that real quickly. But first of all, right there at the end, he is referring to the uh, one of the other questions, question number five in my list of 10 questions, if I remember correctly. And uh, I asked the question, don't the atheist responses or, or the available options that you have as an atheist for cosmology destabilize you a little bit? Um, and, uh, you know, most of the answers I got was, well, no, because we just don't know or something like that. Um, a, a lot of people gave better, you know, more in-depth answers. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying um, the answer I got was no for the most part. Um, but I'm happy to respond in a different way when it comes to arguments that have been put forth against God's existence. He brought up the problem of evil and arguments from evil that atheists will bring. I'm happy to admit that those are, that, that uh, let's say an evidential argument from evil is a, can be powerful. And as a result of that, I think that uh, that's something that should give Christians pause. I don't think we should be so cavalier in our responses to that, to that answer. It's not that we don't have answers, and it's not that we shouldn't answer. It's just that I think we should understand the force of what's being said, both intellectually and emotionally. It's a powerful, um, it's a powerful thing to raise. The point is then that I wasn't suggesting that you abandon a search for truth in order to believe something that makes you feel good. Rather, my point was theism seems like a really good option when it comes to the beginning of the universe. And doesn't that cause you to have a little bit of pause when it comes to your atheism when we're talking about cosmology? In the same way, uh, and, and I would think that if I was an atheist, I would say, yeah, it kind of does. But your mileage may vary, I guess. Uh, but when it comes to the problem of evil, I'm, I'm happy to say it gives me pause. Now, I think we have answers to it, as I say. One thing to point out is he said this is just a quibble, but he says omnibenevolent, omnipresent and omnipotent. I think it would be more appropriate to say omnibenevolent, omniscient and omnipotent. But it really doesn't matter much because I believe all four of those things about God. So um, but the idea that God knows what is going to happen and what is happening um, so that it's not that he doesn't prevent evil because he's not aware of it. He's powerful enough that if he wanted to do it, he could stop it. And he's supposed to be a God of love such that he, you know, would want to stop it. And so why do we see evil? This goes back to the, um, uh, Epicurean paradox, right? Uh, pre-Christian hedonist philosopher. But the thing that I want to raise here that I think is most important to what we're talking about when we address the problem of evil is while I think there are some forms that are challenging, the logical argument from evil isn't really one of those. At least it doesn't have near the force that an evidential argument from evil does. And what we're getting here from due diligence is 
something like a logical argument from evil. He says that this God with these characteristics or these attributes cannot exist. And perhaps he's just speaking casually, but I can only take him for what he says. That would be to describe a logical argument rather than an evidential argument from evil. So you might be wondering right now, well, what's the difference? Well, the difference is that the logical argument from evil has pretty well been put to bed by philosophers. The evidential argument is still pretty well alive and well. Well, the difference is that the logical argument is making the stronger statement. It seeks to show that such a God cannot exist because there's some sort of a contradiction or incoherence in God's nature there. It's making the stronger statement, but it's, uh, it, it's easier to defeat. Whereas with the evidential argument from evil, it's making a softer statement. It's saying that it's less probable or improbable that such a God exists. It's not saying it cannot be the case that this God exists with these attributes, um, but it's more difficult to defeat. So the logical argument is making a stronger statement, but is um, easier to defeat. The evidential argument is making the softer claim, but is more difficult to defeat. I think I said that right. So anyway, um, just to, to give you some examples, about the logical argument, the one that seeks to show that such a God cannot exist if he has these attributes. That's the position that it looks like due diligence is raising. William Rowe uh, said about this, some, philosoph some philosophers have contended that the existence of evil is logically inconsistent with the existence of the theistic God. No one, I think, has succeeded in establishing such an extravagant claim. Indeed, granted incompatibilism, there is a fairly compelling argument for the view that the existence of evil is logically consistent with the existence of the theistic God. That is from a footnote in his famous paper, Now the Problem of Evil in Some Varieties of Atheism. But it's not just Roe. Uh, also, we could take a look at Paul Draper, who says, although logical arguments from evil seemed promising to a number of philosophers in the 1950s and 60s, they are rejected by the vast majority of contemporary philosophers of religion. Or Michael Martin. Oh, uh, by the way, that's from the Oxford Handbook of F Philosophical Training. Um, or Michael Martin, who says, because of the failures of deductive arguments from evil, a theologians have developed inductive or probabilistic arguments from evil for the non-existence of God, atheism, a philosophical justification. So, so the idea that that it cannot be the case that such a God exists and the evil that we see exists um, is is dead in the water because and the reason it's easier to defeat is because all you have to know of is one possible explanation, whether you know it's true or not, to serve as a defeater to the claim that it must be the case that this God cannot exist. So the example that I have given many times on this channel is to say, let's imagine that due diligence and myself and say Dr. Pritchett are sitting in a room with no windows. And Dr. Pritchett gets up to go home uh, during our lunch break. Maybe we're having a meeting or something. Um, and so uh, maybe it's atheist Christian apologist relations or something. And Dr. Pritchett leaves and he comes back an hour later and he's dripping wet. His clothes are dripping wet. His hair is wet. Um, and let's imagine that I say the only explanation for how Dr. Pritchett is that wet is that he got into a shower with all of his clothes on. Well, you may not know whether that's true or not, but what you do know is that that's not the only possible explanation. It could be uh, that he fell into a pond. It could be that he got caught in a rainstorm. After all, we're in a room with no windows. All you have to know is that there are other options on the table. Perhaps he engaged in an out-of-date ALS ice bucket challenge or something. All you have to know is that there are some of these other options, and all you have to do is present one, whether you know it to be true or not, 
to defeat the claim that the only explanation is that he got into a shower with his clothes on. And so as a result, when it comes to the logical argument from evil, it's making the stronger statement. But the reason it's easier to dismiss is all that the theist has to do is present any possible explanation, whether they know that it's true or not, um, that could be the case that would explain why God would allow uh, some measure of evil or pain or suffering or whatever. And so Christian apologists and theists do that and philosophers of religion do that. They say, okay, here are some possible defeaters. It could be that uh, God wants to build our moral character and experiencing pain and suffering is one way to build our moral character and integrity. Or God created a world that he knew would have evil in it because he is preparing us for some afterlife experience. And this is a process that we have to go through to get to that point. Maybe it's something like uh, what's called the Reformed Theodicy that says, look, God is the creator and uh, he, he's painting a picture. He's in control, but um, it's his to do that with. And as a result, uh, you know, Every beautiful painting is going to have some dark corners to it or something like that. Um, there, there are a number of answers that could be given. The free will answer that says God wanted to create beings that had free will. This is my answer. Actually, I think there's truth in all of these answers. But one could say um, God wanted to give man uh, uh, human freedom because he wanted love. And if you want people to love, Christians know that um, we're to love the Lord our God and love the neighbor as ourselves. And the highest expression of love would be one where it's freely given. So God gives man free will. But even if you're God and you're not working contradictions, then giving man free will, he will use his freedom for both good and evil to love and uh, for self. And so you have these different answers. Well, even if you don't know which one of these is true for sure, or which combination, the fact that any of them might possibly be true defeats the claim that it must be that that a God uh, defeats the claim that it must be that a God that has these attributes cannot exist. So the logical argument goes out the window and that's what he presented. Now, the evidential argument says something a little softer. It says um, the, the amount of evil that we see, particularly cases of what we could call gratuitous evil or evil, pain, suffering that seems to have no um, that doesn't seem to do us any good. It doesn't seem to do anybody any good. There's no greater good that's achieved by allowing these things. And in Rose, Roe has offered two examples. One is um, a, a family that is killed, and uh, I think the killer kills himself, and there's no good that comes out of this for anybody. Another example is um, maybe something, I'll probably get the details wrong, but lightning strikes a tree, it falls on a fawn in the woods, the, the, the tree burns up, the fawn burns up, so that even insects aren't going to benefit from the carcass of the fawn, and there's no good that comes out of this. And so there are instances like this, uh, that, and Rose says, and if you think you can find ways out of that, you can make up another hypothetical that's likely true somewhere in the world, and there's no uh, evil. Of course, that kind of begs the question a little bit, but I think it's probably true, so we can go with it, and he's, at least on the face of it. And so he says this, this shows that there are these gratuitous evils, and a God wouldn't allow the level of evil and these unnecessary evils that we have. Um, a, a good, loving God that has all these attributes. Uh, but there are answers to that, too. For one thing, Stephen Weikstra's cornea example, I mean, you don't know for sure uh, that there's no good that comes out of these particular hypotheticals. A butterfly effect could have taken place that the good that comes out of that particular thing may be 100 years off or more. Um, it could be that uh, well, what we should recognize is if there is some good that's going to come out of a particular evil, uh, or pain or suffering, we shouldn't expect that we would be in a position to know what that evil is or, or what that good, what that greater good is. Um, you can look out your back window and you don't see any worms crawling around in the soil, um, but you can't conclude there's no worms in my backyard. 
you have to recognize you wouldn't expect to be able to see the worms in your backyard just from looking out the window. Um, and in a similar way, if God's going to bring greater goods out of particular instances of suffering, sometimes we might see what those goods are, but we shouldn't expect that we have a God's eye view that we can always see what those things are. And uh, so there are different answers to this. Another answer is to say, well, and I think uh, it's Draper who admits this, although I, could, I don't want to put this on his lips because it might not be. Uh, but uh, in the book by Daniel, edited by Daniel Howard Snyder, um, The Argument from Evil, uh, I think it's Traver, but it could be somebody else who says, look, if any of the theistic arguments work, well, then the evidential argument from evil is out the window. So uh, all these things are, are interesting to state. But the point is the logical argument that he brought, it just fails um, or we would need to see some more work done to uh, resurrect that in the eyes of philosophers and make a compelling case. Um, so in the end, there's uh, there's due diligence. And I enjoyed that because, as you can see, probably the problem of evil is one of my favorite things to discuss. All right. Uh, let's move on now to GE, Godless Engineer, and let's see what he has to say. And you might be surprised by my response. So none of those things actually played a part in my deconversion. Uh, I was just challenged by a friend, uh, you know, on how much I adhere to Christianity. He said that I needed to believe in it from cover to cover, literally. And I knew that I couldn't do that. It had literally no bearing on whether or not Christians think that homosexuals should die or entire nations being killed off. Those hold up now. Hold on a second. Who's arguing that homosexuals should die? I, I realize that there are people like Steven Anderson out there, but that's not the majority of Christians you're interacting with. Uh, just want to point out uh, normal church going evangelicals who believe the Bible and are not like progressive Christians in any sense still don't think that homosexuals should die. I just want to uh, make that clear. Really weren't an issue for me. It was literally just following the evidence where it leads. And that led me directly out of religion, but where you think it leads, but gotcha that's not to say that any of those things weren't catalysts for anybody else out there. They could have been catalysts, but just because they're a catalyst for somebody re-examining their faith does not mean that they automatically went to atheism or any other religion. Some people have a crisis of faith and they come out with a stronger faith and some people become atheist and that's okay. Those exact same issues that you listed can be held by both atheists and Christians. And I would challenge. Okay. He's going to issue a challenge here in a second that I think is pretty good and I want to answer it. But, um, I want to say something about this. So first of all, he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. I think that a lot of people have assumed that with each one of these questions, I'm actually making a statement. Now there are two or three of these questions, maybe more where I present my, my position or hint at my position and my answer to these things. For example, in the first question I was asking, what is it that your, your worldview that includes atheism accounts for, um, that my worldview doesn't account for. And then I said, I think my worldview accounts for blah, 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 better than I think any worldview that includes atheism does. So there are examples or in question five, when we're talking about cosmology, here's my position. Here's what I think it entails. Um, doesn't that position, doesn't, don't these implications bother you or destabilize you a little bit? So I give my position on some of these. Um, but I think some people think with all these questions, I'm just trying to say something. 
even in a few moments, Shannon Q, who I think treats me very charitably and I've enjoyed listening to her responses and all those kind of things. Um, even she says something like, what's he trying to say with this uh, question? Now, I take it that what she really means is, what is he really trying to ask me and what does he think is important about this question? Because she does say that too. Um, but a lot of people, I don't think any of the people I'm responding to today, think I'm trying to, uh, I, there's some trap in, involved in this. Um, I really am just trying to ask you these questions to see what your answers are. And here I got answers. This GE says this, and also Shane Q says this along with some other things. And I think that's per, that's a perfectly fair answer. So here's, so here's what I take him to be saying. Yeah, uh, it may be, it wasn't for me, he says, but maybe someone looking at the nature of hell or the atrocities of the old Testament that we call them that, uh, the things that God does and commands that seem problematic to some people, um, the sexual, uh, implications of Christianity. Uh, yeah, th those things might have served as, wait a minute, that seems odd. Let me go deeper with that. Or more than that, Hey, I really don't like that. So let me now evaluate my faith and see if it's true. Um, and, and then really do actually do the work of looking at evidence and come to a conclusion about that. That, that is a real possibility. And so I, uh, I recognize that. And there's a part of me that wants to just leave it like that, because I kind of like the idea of just saying, you guys are right on that, um, because I do think that's right. But then it becomes a question of whether that indicates a strong bias or not. If there is something that drove them to the study because of how strongly they felt about it, then we have to ask the question about bias. Now, we are all biased, obviously, to a certain degree with some things or other. I'm biased. You're biased. We're all biased. The thing is, we have to take measures to control for that bias. And many people are going to say that they are controlling for that bias. There are Christians who will say that they are when they aren't. There are atheists who will say they are when they aren't. And so the recommendation here would just be to simply make sure that you are trying to control for those bias biases. But the notion that is presented by uh, Godless Engineer and later by Shannon Q that in general, we should or it's possible that someone recognizes something odd or something that they would that they find problematic for them or for people that they love or whatever or problematic about the nature of hell or the Old Testament. And then that drives them to look at the debate in more detail. And then they come to atheism on the basis of that material. That's possible. And so to that, I say, point taken. All right, let's, uh, let's hear what he has to say now as a challenge to me. Would you, Braxton, to think of one moral position that cannot be held by a Christian, but can be held by an atheist? I think one moral position that can't be held by a Christian, but can be held by an atheist. You're going to have a hard time finding that particular moral position. One position that can't be held by a Christian, but can be held by an atheist. Well, okay, there's a couple of layers to that onion. First of all, um, Christians can, if you mean can in the sense that there's nothing in the universe preventing them from holding a particular position, then yeah, Christians can hold that position. But that's a different question from can they hold that position and do so consistently with true Christian theology? 
Now, people are going to say, well, no true Scotsman fallacy there. You're just going to say anybody that disagrees with you isn't a real Christian. No, there are people who are real Christians who disagree with me on any number of things. But um, but that's that doesn't negate the fact that there is still the question of whether you can hold to a particular position Christianly. So like if we're talking about the slaughter of unborn children or blaspheming God or something like that. Okay. You may find, you may find Christians who do those things, um, but they're not acting consistently with their Christianity. And it may be that they are calling themselves Christians, but aren't intrinsically Christian. Uh, Like they're extrinsically Christian, but not intrinsically Christian. So for instance, you may have someone who um, is in the progressive church movement and believes all kinds of things that are not consistent with uh, historic Christian orthodoxy. So uh, that's kind of a tough question. Can people hold those positions and be Christians? Yeah. But the question would better be, can someone be who is consistently functioning Christianly, uh, are, are there things that a person who is functioning consistently with their Christianity that they can't do that atheists can do? And then there's another problem, which is even if a person's an atheist, it doesn't mean things that are immoral suddenly become moral. But I think what you're asking is that would be moral on the framework the a particular atheist might function from versus the framework that the Christian functions from. And of course, there are things that a Christian can't do that an atheist can do on that system if the Christian is functioning, functioning consistently with their Christian orthodoxy. And if you buy the response, which I know many don't, that without uh, God, you don't have an objective foundation for moral values and duties. And so moral values and duties become subjective. Well, then depending on the person, almost anything could be done by an atheist on that perspective. Not saying that atheists are going to be horrible people or the atheists you know are wicked or anything. That's not what I'm saying. Not saying that in general, atheists are bad people from a human perspective. That's not the point. The point is just that if if there's no objective morality, well, then all is permissible in a certain sense. Okay. With that, let's move on to Shannon Q. And this is a lengthy clip. And so as a result, I'm going to just pause and respond as we go pretty regularly with this one. So let's listen to what she has to say. Okie dokie. So I don't think that this question is necessarily for me either um, because none of those motivated my deconversion, really. Um, They just didn't. I didn't deconvert because... Let's try to figure out what he's saying here. Is he saying... like it, It feels to me as though this kind of comes back to the, you sure you didn't just want to sin? You sure, are you sure you didn't just want to be be the gay or have an issue with with some of God's moral imperatives? So um, you so that's why you left. Okay, now she doesn't insist upon that interpretation of what I've said. Um, she's referring to a previous question in which I said, "Look, when you become an atheist, um, generally speaking, and there's Pew Research data to show this, you change your positions on certain." Um, social issues that would be considered uh, immoral uh, by most evangelical Christians. Um, You you might become pro-choice. You might become affirming of certain things that you weren't before. Uh, And, and I, I showed, or I didn't show clips actually, but I mentioned 
that I have clips, and I do, of various atheists saying particular things. For example, that um, that sex work is not immoral and that sex workers should be put up on a pedestal no different than the military and that uh, they don't want a particular person said, I don't want my kids to remain um, absent before they're married uh, um, and save themselves till marriage or whatever. And I said, now, I recognize I, I, if I didn't say this, I should have. I recognize that you don't view those things as sinful. What I did say was. I realize when your family and friends who are Christians suggest that you became an atheist and were motivated by a desire to sin or be affirming of what they consider to be sinful activities, whether you're going to be involved in them or not, do you, I, I said this and nobody heard it or the people that heard it assumed I was lying, which is a great way to foster uh, a charitable relationship. Uh, but I said, I realize that you say you didn't become an atheist just so you could sin. And I, Braxton Hunter, believe you. If you tell me that, I'm going to believe you. The question was, do you then understand why, but do you at least understand why, given that you're affirming of things now that you, that you weren't before, if that's the case. Maybe you're engaging in things now that you weren't before, if that's the case, that they consider to be sinful. Do you understand how at least how they would come to that conclusion? And the point, if there's a point that I wanted to make in asking that question is, if an atheist would say, yeah, I mean, it still hurts and it still stinks, but I do at least get how they got there without necessarily intending malice um, and, and genuinely out of a, a you know, a, a pure place. Like they're not, they're not doing this to try and hurt me. Uh, they, maybe they just don't know what I know, or they haven't looked into this to the degree that I have, and I get how they would get there. Then at least that would serve for better communication, perhaps clearer and more precise communication between Christian family members and atheists. That's ultimately what I was hoping for. What most of the people listening heard me say was, you sure you just didn't want to sin? And that's not what I intended. And uh, I'm glad that Shannon doesn't insist on that interpretation. It's certainly not what's coming in this question, what this question is about. But let's go ahead and hear what else she says. Or is he saying that it seems as though so many people focus on those issues and that gives the impression i'm going to assume the latter because i think the latter is more generous that it seems as though many people well that's certainly true um it, it, as i said the thing that's that provoked this question in me is when i watch deconversion videos quite often it's either they start talking about how awful the idea of hell is and why would anybody believe in something like that or God doing the stuff that he does in the Old Testament, like the genocide of the Canaanites and all these kind of things, or the sexual morality that the Bible offers and all these kind of things. And, uh, and, and so I, these get brought up enough that it certainly does send the impression that it seems like that was a strong motivator for you. Now, I'm not even saying at this point that's wrong. We're going to get to that as we move forward focus on these types of things so that might seem as though it's the reason or they explicitly state that it's their reason or it was part of their reason. Now, I can't really answer for myself because 
I had the type of faith where um, I always believed in evolution. I was pro-choice. I was LGBTQ plus affirming. I was like, <laughs> and believed in God and went to church and was an altar. Like I didn't perceive conflict there when I was in the faith. Many do. I was not one of them. So it didn't factor into my deconversion would be um, my answer. Now, have at least at least a partial answer towards why you see it so much. I don't think, Braxton, that you see it so much because it was their reason for deconversion, though it may well have been. I think one of the reasons that you see it so much is because those are groups of people who feel the most damage from religious adherence attempting to assert their moral doctrines onto others. And they exist in societies or families or cultures where them being who they are is perceived as deleterious and dangerous <clears throat> and wrong because of belief structures that others ascribe to an attempt to assert on them. Because now, she says you see it so much because it's often from people who felt like they were wronged by people who were pushing the doctrines of the church. Now, I want to be so so sensitive in this area because it's often difficult to make necessary points in areas that are this tender and this sensitive and understandably tender and sensitive. I'm not saying people are being too touchy. I'm saying I understand that this would be a very important and sensitive issue in your life. And so I want to be careful there. Um, but, but with that being said, I don't think a person who is personally dealing with these particular issues. And remember, I mentioned hell and the atrocities of the Old Testament. It seems like we're focusing here on the sexual and gender stuff. But I don't think that a person is, who's dealing with those things personally, or even who knows someone close to them who's dealing with those things personally, um, is going to be completely neutral on the issue. Um, a person who feels so wronged by these doctrines likely wish that they weren't taught by the church, right? I mean, is that, I actually personally know people who experience same-sex attraction who long for the Bible not to say what it says on these issues, who wish it wasn't there. That may serve as a catalyst for them to genuinely look at the evidence. And the same could be true of biblical teachings on hell, the atrocities of the Old Testament, or any number of things. What I'm asking is to what degree did things like that impact you? And again, it may be none, as she, as Shannon indicates for herself. It may be some, it may be a lot. Uh, but my wording is careful here. If the answer is none, great. If the answer is some, as much as anything else or a lot, then if I'm implying anything, it would be that such a person should consider to what degree that biased them. Um, all right, let's, let's, let's go back to the video now. Hear what else she has to say. Here's the thing. 
I, like I said, I was a type of Christian where I could go through many, many a mental contortion. Um, and admittedly, I had to go through many, many a mental contortion um, to reconcile my my morality and my perceptions on these sorts of things um, uh, with the things that I saw in the Bible through a series of, you know, excuses and, <laughs> and mental gymnastics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I understand that there's people that cannot, but there definitely are, there, there definitely is people that can and do and did. And I was one of them. Now you ended off by saying we should care about truth. Now, if you are the type of person who, or not the type of person, if you are one of the people who realizing that you are gay caused you to analyze your faith more and get to the point where you left it, I can see that as being a catalyst often. And it would make sense it being a catalyst to look further. You're imbuing these people through this question with the assumption that they kind of wanted to be gay and decided to leave what? the faith because that was the only way that they could, you know, guilt-free be gay or whatever, or be pro-choice or blah, 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 blah. Now, you could be LGBTQ, like I am, and, and this isn't me, but I'm just going to use myself as an example here. This wasn't my path, so this is just a hypothetical. And feel to yourself... Um, this pain and constraint and conflict due to the people around you and the belief structure that you ascribe to and believe in giving you the message that you are not okay and you shouldn't be you and that you're irreparably broken and need to do something about it um, to change yourself in order to comport with that moral system and be accepted by your friends, your family, your peers, and your God. And that could lead you down a path where you start to analyze the faith more, like many of us do or did, to kind of throw yourself into it to really find the truth in it in a time of need. And that could lead you to honestly assessing, that being the catalyst, could lead you to honestly assessing each one of those claims individually and coming to the realization that they're not true based on your assessments. Okay, so first, just like I said to Godless Engineer, yeah, that could be. But again, um, Christian teaching on sexual morality was listed as one issue along with hell and the atrocities of the Old Testament. But it's not the only one on the table here. I'm going to assume that Shannon might have just misunderstood my question, and that could be on me. In fact, I'm going to say looking back on this particular question, I'll take responsibility for not being as clear as I could have been. I could have framed it better or been more clear about what I'm asking. Um, but it's clear once you think about it, what I'm actually getting at. I'm not uh, asking about a person who wants to be gay. I'm not talking about whether somebody can choose to be gay or anything like that. I'm asking about someone who is opposed to traditional Christian teaching on hell, sexuality, or the atrocities of the Old Testament. Um, this is not necessarily about the individual feeling the desire to engage in something in particular. It's about someone who's got issues with those teachings, whether they're straight, gay, whatever. And there's more issues on the table here than sexuality. Now, that 
question would almost certainly include some LGBT people, but it's not exclusive to them, nor is it about what someone wants to do, but the position they hold or not, or want to hold or don't hold or do hold. So, um, yeah, so I, I just want to make that clear. Let's move on. So I can see that being the catalyst. Absolutely. You seeing it being prevalent isn't a sign that people are saying, I want to be gay and I want to be pro-choice and I want to do immoral stuff. So I guess I can't be Christian anymore. That was fun. Off I go then. Now I'm just not going to be a Christian because I don't care about the truth. Again, notice that the, the focus here seems to be on stuff they want to do that's immoral. When uh, the things that are, there are things mentioned there that the society thinks are moral that uh, traditional Christianity says is not moral, but there are also things that the modern culture here would say that God's doing that's immoral, um, like hell and the atrocities of the Old Testament. That's why I, I, I think there was a misunderstanding about the question being asked. And even though I did include hell and the atrocities of the Old Testament in the question, I'm still going to assume that there was some miscommunication and maybe Shannon, I mean, clearly she thought I was asking, don't you just want to sin when that's not. And gosh, I, I, she's been really fair with me. And so I, I, don't, I don't want to send an impression that I don't think she is. But I have said in this 12 minute video or whatever it is, uh, the 10 questions video, I believe you when you say that you didn't become an atheist just so you could sin. But let's uh, let's continue. I just care about being gay. That's like, no, <laughs> no, these people are like, if, if you want to retain people in the church, I'd start like maybe not, not picking on the LGBTQ people. I'd, I'd start working on some affirmation and acceptance because it's going to, it's going to be a catalyst and maybe people will find people like me and authors that, and podcasts and lecturers and academics and philosophers that analyze these things and speak to them. And then they come to the honest realization that, oh yeah, maybe some of this is crap. And uh, I don't believe it anymore because I don't have a good reason to. And they may not have gone down that road had they not been really pushed. They may have just accepted it. So, I don't know. That would be my answer to that. I can understand why it would be a catalyst. Okay, we're going to come back to the rest of what she says. <clears throat> but there was a lot there. So first, the church has people that are both intrinsically and extrinsically Christian who are scientists, philosophers, psychologists, lawyers, homemakers, mechanics, engineers, historians. We've got it all. Now, I don't think Shannon was trying to convey that all the smart people left the church because of traditional Christian teaching on LGBT issues. But in case anyone gets that impression, we've got academics in spades. That's not a problem. Secondly, there's a misunderstanding here that what I want for the church is mere numbers. I don't want to fill the church with people who are cultural Christians or Christians in name only. And when I say this, I mean, I, I want lots of unbelievers in church. I, I'd love it if Shannon was in my church, even though she doesn't believe. I, that's not what I mean. I'd love it if uh, all the gay people in Evansville, Indiana, where I live, were in my church, the church that I go to. I, I, I'm all for people being in church. 
but when I'm referring to the church in the sense of not the organization or the physical structure, but the church of Jesus Christ or the I don't know, people claiming to be Christian, I guess, is, is what I'm trying to get at. And in that sense of the church, um, I, I don't want people to fill that church with people who are cultural Christians or Christians in name only. I think the church should be filled with people who are a part of God's kingdom, who bend the knee to their king and wish to serve as his hands and feet in the world, who think about their faith, but are not scared to look into it and don't become filled with shame when they hear it discussed in all of its nuance. I don't think Shannon intended this, but I often hear atheists and Christian leaders of parachurch ministries speak of it as a commercial business where it's all about butts in pews, and I've got no time for it. If on my deathbed all I did was help build an organization, I will have been a failure. I want to help build God's kingdom because that's what has eternal significance for me. As for affirmation and acceptance, that all goes back to the question of what is true. If Christianity is true, the what is true and good might differ from what seems true and good if it's false. We want to affirm what's true and good. She says, um, uh, she, let's, let's hear the last bit of what she says. I'm sure some people maybe did. But I mean, everything is an anomaly. Uh, it had nothing to do for me. And also, who cares? Like, <laughs> so what? So what? Right? Like, what is that? Like, what is the question getting at? Like, what is the question attempting to um, communicate to atheists or Christians, really? That sometimes people become atheists just because they want to believe in things that I perceive as immoral or that God or that, or that I feel as though God perceives as immoral. I mean, that even that doesn't get you to truth. So I don't think anything about the question gets you to truth. And you pose the question as though, or to me, I perceive, I perceived the question as being that, so I could be wrong. I perceive the question as there's the fairness I appreciate out of her when she responds. Being posed is, um, if you have those as even amongst the- I'm not saying she hasn't been fair all along. I'm just saying that is a demonstration that she treats her response videos, at least to me, fairly. List of reasons for your deconversion, um, then maybe you don't care about truth. And I don't think that's fair, I guess, would be my answer to that. All right. Okay. She says, if you have those, like she says, she thinks what I'm saying or what I might be implying is that these other things, again, she's focused primarily on gender, sexuality, and she did mention pro-choice a couple of times. I, I want to be clear about that. She did mention being pro-choice, but I also included the atrocities of the Old Testament, hell, things that it's not just about what you're doing that's immoral. It's about what people say God's doing that's immoral, which avoids this whole thing about, well, you just want to be gay or whatever, um, or at least postures it to a different point that I want to make, which is it's not just about what an individual wants to do. It's about what you hold as a position and the problems you might find with what the Bible says or what traditional Christianity teaches. But she says um, she's she thinks that I'm implying or saying that if any of those things are even on your list, if you have those even among your list. No. To what degree, I said, did they influence your path toward atheism? 
And the reason the question is important, she said a few times, well, I don't even know why that's an important question. I don't know how it gets you to truth. The reason the question is important to me and to getting to truth is that the answer to that question may provide more clarity to Christians and atheists. What issue is actually the biggest personal reason and to what degree that reason is defensible that someone left? What's the biggest personal reason you left? What's the biggest hindrance to faith? What's the biggest issue you've got? And is that a defensible position? If we find that it was just a catalyst and then on the basis of arguments and things like that, the person really did conclude atheism. Well, that's a different discussion from it's not really, you know, there are some arguments and evidences that I find interesting, but really what started me down this path was X, Y, or Z that God commanded genocide of the Canaanites or, um, you know, purity culture or the nature of hell or, LGBT stuff, whatever it is, we could talk about that because that might be a little different. Now, I should also say it is possible that some of those things that I've mentioned that are I'm calling social or moral issues, questions about God's moral character and questions about man's moral character could be rolled into an argument. Um, So that's an important part of this, too. But that wasn't really the focus of this. And if it was, it got covered in my response to uh, well, a little bit in the response to due diligence on arguments from evil. All right, so that's the end of video number eight in this series, and I look forward to video number nine. It's going to be better as it goes, I think. And uh, with that, if you'd like to support what we're doing on this channel, you can visit us at patreon.com slash trinityradio. And with that, I'll see you next time on Trinity Radio. Trinity Radio.